thank you for joining us on Love That Voiceover, where we explore the people and projects behind the microphone in depth. I am your sheep geeky ghost. Love that Rebecca. Hey now, it's Dave Fenoy. Keep listening to Love That Voiceover. Hey, all you fabulous, beautiful, funky, geeky, chic, sexy listeners to Love That Voiceover. Thanks for tuning in again. Today, I have a really cool, close to my heart person that I want to introduce you to. He's an American voiceover artist. His name is Tom Pinto. Welcome, Tom. Hi, Rebecca. Thanks. I just want to let everybody know that you are an icon of mine, um, because when I was first studying voiceover, there was a book, and the book came with the cassette or disc um, that I listened to over and over and over again, and you- Word of um, mouth? I think it- <laughs> And you were on it. You were part of the, the, the veteran cast, if you will. This is true. <laughs> That's right. Icon is another word for saying old, but that's okay. No, it's not. <laughs> it means it means you are someone who's made it, who's been doing this, and knows what's going on. Is building, you know, has a career at this, a professional, um, no beginner by any means, whatever that means. You know, some people start when they're really young. Could be you. Don't know. <laughs> Do you remember that that project? I, I think it was a Susan Blue book. It was. It was. It was. Um, it was interesting. I, I had a small recording studio at, at the time where we did demos and classes and things like that. And I was good friends with Susan Blue because I'd worked on a, a cartoon with her. And she said, "Look, uh, you know, written this book, but we want to put it in an audio form." And what's great is that she pulled together a bunch of people from the voiceover community, you know, to help out. Yeah. Um, God, the great Jennifer Darling, uh, Pat yeah. Music. Yeah. Uh, Bo Weaver, when he still had short hair. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, I, I couldn't think, see Yeah, him. I think Bo started growing his hair right after that project. But anyway. He had to change his ID. On that project. And it, and it, and it was fun because, um, you know, we basically just did what Andrea Romano, who was the director, uh, you know, of the project, right? You know, we just did what she told us to do, but we had we had a great time, and 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 I've had many people over the years say, "God, I remember reading this book or hearing this book," and you know, if somebody got a pearl of wisdom or if somebody got you know good advice from it or whatever, then you know uh, that makes me feel good. Uh, what is it? Almost thirty years later. <laughs> well, God. you know, the book to me and the and the recording itself, you could feel how everybody had a lot of camaraderie, which made a big statement to me because I like working in an environment that's fun. And you guys made it sound so much fun. And um, I was listening to that. I think it was a cassette at the time. So that dates us yes. both. But <laughs> it was... Um, it, it was in the early part of this, uh, the 2000s. I don't know whether it was 2001 or two, but I was listening to that cassette. I think it was a cassette over and over and over again. And your voice and and Susan Blue and and uh, the Darling character. What is you? What's her first name? Jennifer Darling. Jennifer Darling. Hello. You guys were just hysterical, Bo Weaver. I I feel you're iconic because 
in this sense, it's like it was my childhood of voiceover. <laughs> and because of that, you guys, you know, I homage and thank you so much for your participation in that because it makes you so memorable in my heart, you know. And it's so nice to talk to you. And you're a Bay Area guy. I'm from the Bay Area, too. So That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. So let's get started. Sure. Um, now, just to give a brief bio for everybody, Tom is uh, working in commercials, promos, documentaries, and he's been doing this since the early 80s. He has, he has national campaigns. He's done Pacific Life, Net Zero, Honda Motorcycles, Chevron, Staples, and he does promos for pretty much every major network and uh, CBS Evening News, as well as affiliates across the country. He also does television narration um, for many serious documentaries on the History Channel, Smithsonian Network, and lighter projects on channels like the Char the Travel Channel. Um, he even did an audiobook narration, The Little Book of Common Sense Investing. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? Was that before or after the big crash? <laughs> Touche. Uh, I, I, I think that was... Um... I think that was right about 2007. And what's interesting is that I, you know, I did not know a lot about investing, but in order to read the book, I'm a slow reader. So I always read the night before whatever section I'm going to be reading. And it was great because I started to, to learn something. I mean, I, I, I always take that point of view anyway, you know, not, not to yeah. look at, I don't know anything about cars, right? But you can't look at that as an obstacle, as a narrator. I mean, you actually, I look at it as, okay, well, what am I going to learn? And then what in turn can I, you know, pass along to you? So um, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, John C. Bogle is the man who invented, uh, you know, uh, you know the, the Vanguard fun. I mean, this is the, no lightweight, you know. So, Interesting. you know, I was his voice. So I had to kind of remember, hey, you're, you're doing Bogle's. You're essentially Bogle's voice here, so uh, you have to have some ownership of, of what you're talking about. Well, um, we're going to talk a little bit more about that. You're also a coach. Is that is that still the case? A voice I, coach? Yeah, I have been coaching all along. You know, since I was in in got into this business because actually I I started out kind of backing the door into being a. I was a producer. I we had a little boutique shop cutting together spots and then somebody said hey there's a cheap studio if you need to edit your voiceover demo i would put together their demo and then somebody I'd get a call from an agent says gee can you do this for me and then suddenly i'm working with a couple of celebrities putting together their thing and then somebody said uh you know hey you should be teaching classes so i've i've enjoyed that for a long time i've taught as well as voiced you know, probably for close to 30 years. I mean, I don't have as much time to teach uh, because of the voiceover schedule that some people like Maurice Tobias, who does it pretty much full time. But um, right. I enjoy it because you constantly are reteaching yourself things. You're, you're testing out your own theories. You're testing out what's what's going on in the marketplace. And then I'm excited to share it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's fascinating. So you've got a, a nice a nice full voiceover career that's taking up the majority of your time with a little, let's say, coaching on the side, coaching a la carte. Yeah, a la um, carte. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to take a quick pause and be right back with Tom and find out about his moments in the early years. 
Hang on with me, Tom, all right? You got it. Hey, this is Rebecca. If you'd like to promote a charity or a special event nonprofit, I'd be really happy to put some information for you in the podcast. Either send me the information via email or send me an MP3 I can just throw in. I'm Joe Cipriano, producer of Primetime Voices for Children. Last holiday season, 31 of America's top voiceover artists gathered together to record Twas the Night Before Christmas. This year, for the holiday, We've added 11 more children's stories to create an album, Twas the Night Before Christmas, and other children's stories. One of our voices, Zurich, chose Buster Bear. Grandfather Frog looked up. Tush, child, tush. I don't know, the whole thing makes me giggle. And we hope that the entire album makes you giggle. We urge you to purchase a copy of Twas the Night Before Christmas and other children's stories. All the proceeds go to Mattel Children's Hospital, UCLA, and the Chase Child Life Program there. I'm Joe Cipriano, wishing you happy holidays. Thanks for listening. And now, back to the podcast. Okay, we're back with Tom, and I want to jump into your past. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, skeletons. (laughs) What moment did you realize that this was your calling, and, and it was the right thing for you? You know, I had always played around with my voice as a little boy with 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 an old tape recorder that my father found on a, oh. on a construction job. Oh, and that's cute. Yeah, and and I sat in front of and in fact the great Pat Fraley and I share the same thing. We used to sit in front of the television with reel-to-reel recorders and all we would do is we would imitate everything that we would hear. And I had, <laughs> yeah, and 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 when I would watch the the show Laughing I would do try to do all the characters, and then I would record them and play it back. So that was probably like my first inkling of what I wanted to do. Did you have any clue as a kid when you start playing with this, which is great for a little hobby and for creative play, but did you realize this was a profession that you could actually get into? What point was that? Well, actually, back then, no. I just thought it was fun, but, but by the time I... I was ready to go off to college, UCLA, and yeah. I thought I was going to be a serious journalist uh, student. I went to the college radio station oh. and thought, yeah, yeah, and thought, well, maybe I can do a newscast. But then there was a guy sitting there spinning records, and I said, well, this looks like fun. <laughs> and I did that, and I became the program director of, of the UCLA radio station and then got <laughs> off into radio. But radio, by the time I was in radio, that was the shut up and play the music era. Okay. Nobody wants nobody wants to hear you. They only want to hear the Bee Gees. So, uh, yeah. So eventually I found my creativity was in cutting spots. Oh, okay. Being able to either do voices or just, to, you know, to to be able to emote and to make local radio spots better than what they were. I found that uh, even as a young man that was that was a challenge and so I was production director at a couple of different radio stations before I came back to LA. And decided, well, maybe I can get a job um, actually editing promos, you know, for for record companies, which is something I was pretty good at cutting tape. Oh my God, that sounds old, but you know, reel to reel tape. That was how it was done. But I also it went digital. Yeah, you know, so it, it it was a real art back then. But now, but then uh, it just took off there for me that I still enjoyed the voice part of it. 
And um, fortunately, I got involved in a workshop with some great people. I was the worst person in an ongoing workshop. They took me <laughs> under the wing because I was a young guy. And there were people in there like Andre Stoika, um, Sarah Harris, Carol Bilger. And there was there were some really great people, Harlan Rector. Mm-hmm. And they just, they helped me. They pushed me to be more of an actor. And uh, I owe a lot of that to them. Oh, wow. This is still in L.A. or? That yeah that, that that was in that was in a that was in the deep seedy part of Hollywood where we used to meet every Tuesday night. <laughs> it was it was called Harks Recording and and uh, Harks was probably m- most famous for the fact that Orson Welles wanted to record there because he knew the owner of the studio. And he liked and seedy it, places. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> and occa- occa- occasionally you know you'd see. Uh, You'd see Orson coming out of the back room, you know, after doing, um, you know, seriously doing those Paul Masson spots. Oh, my God. But anyway. Wow. That's kind of fun. So so did you get to talk to Orson or? No, we we steered clear of Orson. We we were advised to do that. However, uh, and any of the any of the ladies seem to have better luck talking to him. I was wondering. (laughs) What can I say? Yeah, he probably offered a glass or two. Uh, <laughs> he would say, yeah, what is your name, young lady? Exactly. You know. Do it again. Yes. I actually do Maurice LaMarche doing Orson Welles. <laughs> the great Maurice LaMarche is like, that guy, you know, was so great because he was doing Orson's for such a long time. And when they came up with the concept for Pinky and the Brain and he decided that he should sound like Orson Welles, I mean, that... He was such a kid in the candy store at that point. I mean, that, I think it's as obvious his favorite project because this man will just do Orson Welles 24-7 if you let him. And he, he's phenomenal, of course. Oh, that's What's your favorite character to, to recreate? You know what? Peter Falk. Do it! Peter Columbo? F- yeah, P- Peter Falk never seems to... Uh, he always seems to entertain people. You can fall into a Peter Falk conversation, Rebecca, like, for example... <laughs> It's interesting that you got my phone number from somebody, and that guy, by the way, owed me money. <laughs> so I'm just, this is just a hunch, but I'm thinking that you're his deep pocket. <laughs> you know what I mean? He, you can just go into a conspiracy mode. That's awesome. <laughs> that's so Columbo, isn't it? Uh, I mean, that's his so classic Columbo. role. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful, yeah. Tom. Thank you for that. Oh. Well, it's unfortunate. You know, all, all, all the people that I do are dying off. But anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> that he keeps was, you busy. No, well, that, was, that you can keep those voices alive. Yeah, you try. And occasionally, you know, back in the 80s, if you were doing a character voice on a cartoon, you know, maybe if you got away with it, you know, Susan Blue would say, hey, Tommy, uh, you want to do him with a little bit of a, you know, uh, I don't think it was Peter Falk. Oh, it was a John Lovitz thing. You want to do a little bit of that uh, Morgan Freeman, you know, <laughs> you know uh, Morgan Fairchild, you know, and, and she would kind of push you to do that. You right, know, right. Occasionally you get away with it. But it's kind of hard because now you have, uh, you know, you have so many lawsuits out there. Uh, by the way, they're doing my voice and we want money for it. So uh, that's tough. they're taking all the fun out. They did. God, take a little air out of that balloon. <laughs> well, let's talk about your career. You started, um, uh, you moved around the country a little bit. You got involved in voiceover more heavily after some serious actors took you under their wing in the seedy part of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. What happened next? <laughs> 
Well, I, I at the time, as my day job, I was working in at the Los Angeles Times for the Times, and I did enjoy it. But you know what? I just wasn't a nine to five. And then in that CD studio in Hollywood, um, a guy came up to me and said, "Hey, this studio is for sale." Oh. He says, "How would you like to?" go in on it. And we're not we, we're not talking about a great amount of money. I mean because it you know it was very little equipment and so two other guys and myself we bought the studio. Oh wow. And had a little product little production company and I was sort of the uh, I I was the guy who uh was their connection to the voiceover industry. So while if if we were having difficulty getting accounts, commercial accounts for radio and TV commercials, I was trying to keep us afloat by editing editing together demo tapes for people okay. and producing. And in fact, that's where I met uh, the great Bill Ratner because he had come back to town the same year I did, okay. 1979. How fun. Yeah, he was from Minnesota and, um, and uh, we were putting together a spec spot for Pink Floyd's uh, The Wall. Wow. And I wasn't even at the session, but uh, my partner had the voice tracks. And he says, can we cut these together and make this work? And I'm thinking, who is this voice guy? His What a gorgeous, wonderful voice. And it was Billy. So that was how you came to meet Bill Ratner. Exactly. I mean, we, we, we started out together. In fact, we had the same first agent, Donna Lee Davies. Very um, cool. W- you know, he we, we would sit around and talk for hours after union meetings about everything under the sun. Oh. Especially during his singles single days. Right, right. Yeah. Awesome, awesome. You've been listening to Love That Voiceover, brought to you by your host, lovethatrebecca.com. Thanks for listening. 